This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Coco. I'm Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor-in-chief at Voice of San Diego. And I'm joined, as always, by the managing editor, Andrea Lopez Villafania. What's up, Lopez? Hey, Lewis. We're also joined this week in the studio by environment and energy reporter Mackenzie Elmer. What's up, Mac? Yo. Coming up on the show this week, the Water Authority power struggle rages on why you should care about it too Rural districts wanted to leave the Water Authority. They're on their way, and now it's a big political storm. McKinsey has followed the story from the beginning and will help us understand the current power struggle and what's next. And a business district in southeastern San Diego worked to boost itself up with the help of the city and a nonprofit, but what they got was broken promises. Andrea is going to explain what happened in the Diamond District and how business improvement districts actually work. Finally, this is our last podcast before the special election of the Board of Supervisors seat that's open. We'll share our thoughts before you aren't allowed to vote anymore. We've got that and more coming up on the show. Stay with us. But first, we wanted to announce that PolitiFest 2023 is set. This year, we're partnering with CalMatters to tackle the biggest issues facing the region, and the state, two of them, water and housing. We're hard at work putting together the best panels and discussions for you. Mark your calendar for October 6th and 7th and see all the details at politifest.org. You you guys know I invented PolitiFest. Yeah, no. but it was like a fair. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me the story. <laughs> a fair for kids and yeah, everyone to come snakes. together and there engage. There were snakes. Dunk tanks. Wait, did that actually happen? Dunk tank. Yeah. Yeah, but they wouldn't let us have the the ones where you like actually fall in the water because of wastewater rules. What? Really? We could, we could only do the one where you it pours water on you. It was Where very, did you have it? At Liberty Station. Oh, nice. Voice members get a discount on PolitiFest <laughs> tickets. Another perk of being a member of this nonprofit. Register now at politifest.org. We will see you there. I'm excited to partner with Cal Matters. We're doing a lot more with them. And uh, hopefully we can get a lot of big names and just good discussions. We've been trying to pull together a lot of water conversation. I know that we got to talk about more drama as those panels come together. We will do that. But again, go to politifest.org and we'll see you there. Mac. What's up, Scott? So do you guys have things that like somebody tells you and it sticks with you your whole life? Like every time a similar circumstance comes up, like one time my friend borrowed my surfboard like 10 years ago 
and he put the leash on and he's like damn are you herschel walker because it was such a like wide like leash strap and he and he's making fun of my leg or whatever and every time i put my leash on now i'm like i think herschel walker you know really (laughs) uh jeez is this a sports guy yeah but he ran for senate too uh so so now every time i look at my green bin the bin that they brought me just about maybe six weeks ago. Oh, that's it? Yeah, it was, I was one of the later ones. Okay. Uh, and Late bloomer on the green bin. Yeah, every time I see it and to deal with it, I think of you. Oh, oh yeah. no. And <laughs> okay. Now, I, I hate that I associate you with like Garbage. swarms of maggots. <laughs> I'm and actually fly, okay with that. <laughs> I'm actually good with that. <laughs> but, but I got to say... I'm working hard on it. I'm doing a lot to make sure that everything gets in there, the coffee grounds. Yeah, can you walk me through your process? So coffee grounds. Yeah, so I, I do the dishes. I have the little the little green bin, the little Because you have it from the, the city of San Diego is your service provider, right? Yeah. Okay. I love that they, they sent the green bins out and they gave you like a little buddy green bin. This is so pale. cute. Yeah. It's adorable. Some people were using those for coolers filled with okay. <laughs> with beer and ice. That's pretty good. <laughs> My neighbor uses it to clean his paintbrush. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's well, uh, I use it for its intended purpose. Yes. And I, I have it next to me when I'm doing the dishes and I put the, you know, the scraps into it. We're taking care of that part okay. But every time I have to take it out to the bin, I get like nervous because mm-hmm. <laughs> opening that thing up is like opening up a portal to hell. It's it like, is so <laughs> scary. It's like Carmina Burana, O Fortuna, <laughs> yeah. like blasts out of the bin. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> like, it's, that's how I feel about mine. And it's just like, I... I'm glad that this is how it seems like it's probably worth it. And I'm actually like, it's kind of fun to like make sure I get everything in there and make sure everything's, I, I feel it's like a little game. It's added a little spice. You did spice. your homework in school. Like. It's a little spice to my life. <laughs> nice. But I've, I'm really having trouble with this, uh, this uh, whatever is being created. Wait, do you layer your bigger bin? You know, I, I know you guys <laughs> talked about that, but it's not that easy to layer. No, but do you have a yard with yard waste? Not so you much. get the UT, huh? You I do. I do get the print UT, and I do. It. I do put it in there, but it just—it's it's not as—it's not perfect layers, right? There's, and so I do get a little yard waste in there, but not much. I don't have a lot, and I'm kind of lazy, so we're not getting as much as it could be. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. So you talk to people about this, yeah, and you've heard from people about this, mm-hmm. and there are some solutions or no, because I don't know what to I do. mean, you're a homeowner, so you have a little bit of space with greenery that you can kind of pluck and make a layer or- I am very know. fortunate that way, yes. Well, uh, so um, apartment owners, you got pretty much nothing unless yeah. the landscaper comes. I think we have one come like once every two weeks or something. So our green bin is nasty. <laughs> And I may, I think like one other person in the, our eight unit apartment is starting to use it other than like the nerd me. <laughs> but, um, you know, I've. So it's a communal green bin. Communal for eight units. And Oof. I have to pick out trash from it all the time. And it's just sitting at the bottom. It's full of, you know, there's like sludge. There's like, you know, just like streaks yeah. from when it was emptied. And I have talked to people. I talked to like composting experts yeah. about like, and but their explanation of how to like perfectly take care of it is so detailed yeah and there's all these like <laughs> people i tweeted about it and people sent me all these links of all these gadgets and so yeah. i was like no i just 
I'm already doing more. <laughs> what do you do want? More than that. Yeah. And the ESD director, Renee Robertson, she's like, this, this is the one thing you can do to like help solve climate change. That's the way that they view okay. it is because you are by nature of putting your organics in this green bin and it's going to a compost center. It's not going into the landfill where like when you put f organic matter in a landfill, it's like layered with plastic and it, there's no oxygen reaching it really. So it's like anaerobic. It just creates this environment where methane is produced and that uh -huh. all just like leaks out into the atmosphere. And they have aerial like LIDAR photos where airplanes fly over landfills and you can see all this methane just like pouring out Okay, of so landfills. what does the compost do instead? So the compost is all like nicely taken care of and it's also capped and dried and then it's sold um, as like nice organic matter to, I guess, so it doesn't farmers. Become methane. So it doesn't become, yeah, it doesn't become methane. It's controlled, I, I guess, and, and more than, so, but at home it's really tough and I've, I keep all of my food waste in a plastic bag in my freezer. It's mm -hmm. like super gnarly. And then I, <laughs> try to throw it into the bin. Does your husband ever like go for a snack and, or a popsicle <laughs> and he's like reaches in? <laughs> into the bag on accident? No, yeah. he's been pretty good about that. But it's 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 gross. Um, I, Wait, I'm so not you didn't say. get a little pail? No, you don't get a pail. You don't get an adorable little no, pail? No, so I didn't cute. get That's a little the best part. Yeah. <laughs> Except the lid comes off sometimes when you dump it in the bin. That's supposed oh. to be. That, you take it off and then go. Yeah, well, I don't take it off. I just dump it take and it, it off, falls. And then you don't have to worry about the lid. Right. That's why it's that way. Right. I learned that. Steps. Yeah, there's a lot of steps. Okay, what can I do to get rid of the... So the best thing to do is to take some of your yard waste, somehow like maybe save it, and then you just kind of sprinkle like a solid layer over your food waste, and hopefully that keeps the smell down so that it doesn't attract all this vermin. Mm -hmm. But for me, like I literally steal paper out of our recycling bin that's sometimes dripping in beer and whatever else people are throwing <laughs> in their recycling bin, and I layer it over my food waste um, which isn't like that effective, but it keeps some of the flies from flying in my face or yeah. keeps the contents. Down. So there's been something I've been doing that I forgot to ask you if I'm even supposed to or allowed to do this, <laughs> but I, I save my Trader Joe's nice. uh, paper bags and I dump the little, the stuff from the little pail once it's full mm -hmm. into the Trader Joe's bag mm -hmm. so I can close it and then I dump it into the bigger bag. That's gold star composting behavior ah. right there. Um, yeah. Now you have a note here that says diatomaceous earth. Thank you for that's, pronouncing it for me, yeah. <laughs> that's the uh, that's the white stuff. Now I'm, I'm familiar with that stuff because we had a, uh, I believe it was a, yeah, a skunk that invaded our crawl space right. and he brought fleas Yep. and we took care or we think we took care of the fleas in part with the, the spreading of this white stuff called diatomaceous earth, which seemed like a ridiculous name for something. But you've put that here. Is that something I can dump on there? Or? That is something I'm still researching, but I think you can because it's just, I believe it's just crushed like limestone yeah. sort of. And I also, my cat got fleas. Someone from the vet office told me to buy this stuff. I actually never ended up using it because another vet said it doesn't work. Anyway, you can apparently sprinkle that over your food waste, and that's supposed to like keep like flies and stuff from forming because it the way it works like it on like, your carpet with fleas like kills the flea like yeah, slices it explodes them. Explodes their insides. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, where did you put it? Like, did your dog spread get it in the crawl in the crawl space? Oh. Yeah. yeah. To like, but I've been told that that also can can be helpful. All right. Um, all right. Well, we'll we'll give it a shot. I'm 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 in. You know, um, I do like the adorable little one, and I'll I'll make sure that we we try to keep the uh, <laughs> the portal of hell closed.
I have a lot of thoughts about these uh, maintenance assessment districts and business improvement districts. So the business improvement districts are the ones that you charge businesses fees for, and it funds all kinds of things or can fund all kinds of things. In some neighborhoods like Ocean Beach, it's the the chili cook-off and the street fair every summer, a few other things like that. Um, and in other parts of the, the community that you need it for different uses and such. The maintenance assessment district is more like a, like a tax on every property owner, and they can use that for trash bins and stuff like that. So you also have an interest as a community reporter. <laughs> you've, uh, this is like the heart of community you know, organizing and, and trying to make your neighborhoods better. And you, you got into it pretty deep at the UT and other places, right? Yeah, it's totally fascinating to like often... You know, I mean, all of this sounds super nerdy and it's really yeah. hard to explain to someone, but like often people don't even know that they belong or are paying into a maintenance assessment district. Um, sometimes some business owners don't even know they're paying into a business improvement district. So they're quite, you know, wonky sort of like mini city Yeah, they're mini governments. Yeah. Yeah. This one caught my attention. So when I was at the Union Tribune, I wrote about a maintenance assessment district in Logan Heights that I had followed um, you know, property owners were saying like, we're having a lot of issues and it's not working out well. Um, so that kind of caught my interest because I think, you know, Logan Heights is a community um, already at a disadvantage to many things. And I think like people hoped that through a maintenance assessment district, they could get services or they could get a neighborhood that they could be proud of. Right. Yeah. And that would attract uh, people coming into the area. Um, so the one I'm looking at right now is called the Diamond Improvement District, Diamond Improvement Business District. And um, that's in southeastern San Diego. And it gets this name because of the size and shape of the district. It's not actually a diamond shape. It's more of a T. But, you know, if you combine the corners, it becomes a diamond. But yeah. um, it includes the neighborhoods of uh, Lincoln Park, um, Mount Hope, uh, it, just that general area. And um, this is a business improvement district, so not a maintenance assessment district. So basically, businesses that fall within those boundaries uh, pay an annual fee um, on their business certificate license to the city uh, to pay, you know, those funds go to um, different activities uh, that could be promotional material for the district. So you might recognize that you're in a business improvement district if you look up at the light posts and there's a banner for some sort of business or some sort of activity, like you said, the Ocean Beach, right? They might have banners up for some sort of fair that they're doing or some sort of event. I expect that someday Little Italy will have a picture of me up there with all the <laughs> little Italians. <laughs> of you? How Italian are you? I'm half Italian. Oh, okay. That's half, <laughs> that half is enough. I mean, I, I don't have a vowel at the end of my name, but I'm close. <laughs> Luisio. <laughs> um, Thank you. <laughs> the reason that this one, I think, caught my interest was because I learned that um, business improvement districts are managed by nonprofit organizations. So basically, businesses in this area say, we're okay with being taxed an additional fee every year, um, and those funds go to the city. And then the city contracts with the nonprofit to manage those funds and organize all the programming. Um, so the Diamond District uh, had a nonprofit that was running its services. And 
you know, that could be like coffee mixers. It could be financial literacy. It ranges from the type of neighborhood and the type of needs that those business owners have. Usually there's a board that represents the businesses, right? Yes, and yeah. then And then they oversees decide. the nonprofit, mm-hmm. but the nonprofit does all the work. Yeah, they decide, okay, they'll send outreach workers to talk to the business owners. What kinds of things do you need? Okay, and then that's how they organize their programming. Um, but I found out that the city had decided not to renew its contract with the nonprofit, which is the uh, Diamond Business Association. And so now management of this business improvement district in southeastern San Diego is going to go to the city's economic development department for now until they can find a different nonprofit to run it. What Feels it? like a little bit of a nerdy way to say like somebody got fired. Yeah, somebody got fired. The city decided we're not going to work with you anymore. Um, we don't need your services. Mm-hmm. What they do? So I got a hold of a letter. It's sort of implied in the letter why they're not renewing their contract, but never directly stated. But the implication is that there was high turnover of staff within the nonprofit and that the nonprofit no longer had broad community support. Um, essentially that the nonprofit was not providing high quality services to this neighborhood. Um, again, mm-hmm. it's all sort of implied. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Let's step back and talk about why this matters though too. Like there are a lot of communities that are clearly, like we mentioned, I mentioned, I joked about Little Lily, mm-hmm. but like Little Lily is kind of like the gold standard as far as like just this, they have a lot of presence. It's very clear you're in Little yeah. Italy when you're in there and that's in part because of that. Yeah. And so it, it this is a neighborhood that wanted to see itself, mm-hmm. uh, you know, be able to progress that way. At that level, attract customers, attract business owners who, you know, um, are interested in applying for grants where they can improve their storefronts and maybe replace, you know, old looking stores to look nice and bring more people, make it a welcoming, walkable community for the people who live there, for visitors. It boils down to like wanting opportuni- opportunities and um, getting services to reach those opportunities. What's the vibe now at the Diamond Business District? So the Diamond Business Association, the nonprofit that lost its contract, um, through its messaging to members, seems like, okay, we didn't get our contract renewed. Like, chill, reach out to the city if you need help. Um, We're going to continue our efforts of supporting businesses through like this whole nother thing that we're going to do on our own. And if you want to be a part of it, you can buy a membership. Uh, The district itself, uh, business owners have been informed that there is a change. And I think everyone's just kind of waiting to see what's going to happen next. I guess I meant like, how does it feel when you're there compared to like, you know, the gold standard Little Italy? Like, does it feel like it needs a lot of support? Like it's not getting what it needs? Yeah. Well, so the district is pretty spread out. So it's not like you go to North Park and right away there's University Avenue. You'll see all these businesses. In southeastern San Diego, the district is really spaced out and so are the businesses. And the businesses range from like a taco stand, a liquor store to a food for less. And it's really spaced out. So it also struggles from not having like a center. They don't have like a main street. Yeah, not like a main street. The Mm. businesses are pretty spaced out through the entire district. And every district is different. So I think when you're talking about Little Italy, you're talking about uh, an area that has a business improvement district and districts pay different fees. And 
a maintenance assessment district. So that's property owners paying another fee. And all goes, you know, into a bucket that the Little Italy Business Association can use. Now that's a lot of money. And so you could do a lot of stuff with that. The business improvement district and the diamond district, its fees are pretty low for business owners because again, you're talking about business owners who are first time entrepreneurs, uh, immigrants, people of color. Um, so their fees are pretty short and they don't have a lot of money to work with in the first place. Um, but they do expect you know, services, so like financial literacy. It's a lot of support services instead of promotional mm. services. I uh, always follow what um, the greatest community reporter in San Diego Aww. does at vosd.org slash Andrea. I think Rage knew that eventually its work would get morphed <laughs> into an intro segment about water <laughs> politics in San Diego. Uh, but there, there is a lot of rage actually going on. So one of the things I had to ask the County Water Authority recently is like, why does this matter that two of your members, two agencies in the north part of San Diego County, want to leave the County Water Authority? And you guys are really putting up a fight about it. Like, why, why, why? And you know the real the the first answer is always like, well, it's going to cost the rest of the ratepayers money, but you can kind of, it's not that much, and you can you're like, what's the big deal? Like it's it doesn't seem like you need to go to war about that. And then they say, well, it's, it'll change our voting influence mm -hmm. at the Metropolitan Water District. Like we lose like a half percent or something, right? I think it's like point three. Yeah, and so it's like, okay, yeah, I get that that matters. You can make deals with you know slivers of power at that board and you have i understand that and then i asked i, I really pushed the new guy dan denham mm -hmm. he's a really interesting guy yeah he's like from chula vista he worked for the city of san diego he's been here for a long time yeah so, so he's a he's the new acting general manager there and and he i thought put it the best he's like well yeah all of those things but also, I, I'm worried that if, if it's going to make it hard for us to ever do big things in the future, because if, if all these agencies wonder if they're really in it together to pay off these big investments, then they might not want to go and embark on big investments. And so maybe this literally like 30-year project of building big things could be like winding down. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's that's a fair uh, take on why everybody's so fired up about this? Yeah, and I, th I think an example of that was a few years ago when the Water Authority leadership was trying to build another new big thing again. They were looking at building this their own pipeline of the Colorado River, which they've talked about many times before, but that would mean that they have their own control over their main source of water. Talk and about how it is now. Now, basically, all the water that San Diego gets um, runs through big aqueduct pipes from the Colorado River through, like, the Los Angeles area. Or they hate when I say that, but <laughs> I say L.A. because it's based through Metropolitan Water District. So they have to buy it from someone else in order to get it here. Got it. They don't have their own infrastructure, basically, that they built. So some of the leadership wanted to build this, this, this new pipe that would cost billions of dollars but wouldn't bring any new water to the region. And they had a big vote about it, another big fight. And again, the city of San Diego, because they have so much power at the Water Authority, they were the ones who were able to like 
spend more money to study this pipeline again when the majority of the different various water districts in San Diego County voted against it. But the whole problem is like San Diego has all of this power and they can kind of control um, things more than these other like small water districts, like the ones that are trying to leave. And so that just it just highlighted that that was a big investment that might have come together better in the past. But now we're starting to see these small districts like say, stop it, stop it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're trying to find a way to gain more power, basically. So we we came in and um, uh, you said something like, hey, we might we might see some developments in this political fight going on. So tell us where we're at, because it seems like there is some fallout with the uh, with the two districts that are leaving and um, consequences from that. Now, you reported this week about the small districts that uh, are remaining within the county water authority, but they want a bit, uh, maybe a different deal. Yeah. I think I came in and said water world is overboiling, actually. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so... Yeah, the the same like smaller water districts like in Valley Center for for one kind of leading the charge. They are uh putting up another fight to try to win some power, take the power back. This is what like this this Rage Against the Machine song for some reason popped into my mind while watching like a water district meeting with a <laughs> bunch of like kind of old dudes talking about um, you know, very complicated water politics, but they they see this opportunity potentially to just kind of like raise the raise it before everybody's eyes that the city of San Diego has so much control over the water authority's decisions that um, they may not actually rep- the water authority's interests that are everybody's seeing may not actually represent you know all twenty four water districts all of San Diego County so their attempt right now is to try to get the state legislature <laughs> to change um the voting structure at the water authority so that like it operates more like congress so you have like a house of representatives or you have a vote where it's by population so like san diego has maybe the most weight but then they also have like a senate so like each of the 24 water districts have an equal vote so they'd have to have it pass through both types of votes some sort of like big project like a like a pipeline or something and that would make it harder to build stuff you know if san diego wanted to all of a sudden you had like 10 San Diego representatives who got it in their head that, yeah, we want to build our, finally want to build this Colorado River pipeline. Like, let's just do it. Um, they could get it done, you know, right now if they really wanted to. Yeah, so it mirrors the the fight that we've seen at Sandag. Sandag used to have that exact system where, yes, the big cities could um, control a lot of the, the weighted vote because they have so much of the population, but there was a, a vote of just the members of the agency, which often balanced that out. After a scandal at the Sandag occurred, they passed legislation that said, we're going to have an auditor at Sandag. Oh, and we're also going to change the voting so that the, the big cities can just take care of business as they please. And then we saw the whole thing erupt with, with, with Sana Crada, who represented those big cities, I think, in a way that was a lot more sharp elbowed than we've ever seen in those districts. And so now we're seeing like the opposite push. They want to get to more of what the Sandag used to be at the Water Authority, even though it's it's where Sandag is m- more like now at the Water Authority. Is that right? Yeah. It, right now, it doesn't really seem like there's a whole lot of actual weight behind changing the voting structure, but it you know they're just kind of using this as an opportunity to like voice this this issue again um, while everybody's looking at the Water Authority and what's going on. But interestingly, like with this whole um, 
divorce, as I've been calling it, of the two small like rural water districts who are kind of putting up a big fight right now trying to leave the the LAFCO. <laughs> we might need to spend like a lot of time talking about what a LAFCO is, but basically like this these what we call like these boundary referees they're sort of like appointed to make decisions about whether you know if La Jolla wants to break off and become its own city they're the ones that are appointed to make that kind of decision and the 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 vote has to happen there same thing with this water district fight if you want to divorce from the water authority it's got to go through this LAFCO process and what is really interesting that emerged from this whole fight is like all of this all of this fighting between um, and among the water agencies and their members like showed LAFCO that like maybe someone should audit or look into what's going on at the water authority like why is there all this turmoil like why are these agencies so mad about prices and whatever else that so now LAFCO is going to pursue an audit of the water authority which hasn't happened before um so it'll be interesting to kind of see what I'm that sure the water authority like is excited about that. Stoked. Uh, <laughs> so, at the at the heart of all this is how much they pay for water, right? Yeah. Like the and and that's what we talked about. If you, by the way, in your feed, um, check out Voice San Diego Happy Hour podcast that we put up um, with uh, some of our local journalist friends to each tell a story. And I talked about my own experience watching the desalination plan over the last twenty years turn into a desalination plant and the cost of water just soar in part because of that. And that those high costs of water, it's not just ratepayers who are frustrated with it. It's actually these, these agencies and a lot of the rural ones in, in particular that want to see major change with that. So is that what's kind of fueling Valley Center's angst to get more power on the board so they can start to like hold down costs? Yeah. And well, Valley Center's way different from Rainbow and Fallbrook. They can't Rainbow and Fallbrook are on the periphery of the county. They can, they infrastructure wise, they can kind of just like cut themselves off from everybody else and still take water from the north from yeah. from Metropolitan. But Valley Center is a hundred percent reliant on the Water Authority. So any rate increase, they they don't, and they also don't have enough people to like create wastewater enough wastewater to recycle. Like is another way that people are trying to diversify water resources here. Um, so. They're just really like concerned also about the the rising water rates, and um, that's kind of why I think they're putting up such a big fight right now as well. At the heart of it, then, is the question like they they are, they do want the big investments to stop, right? Like because that's what happens. They borrow a bunch of money to build desal or new dams or pipelines or line canals or whatever they else they want to build. They want to build a lot of reuse now. That basically there is a movement and it's gaining steam to say, stop, we've done enough. We need to contain costs at that point. And that's what this is all about. Feels like is like this fight between the people who want to keep going and build, build, build and the, and, and the workers and businesses that would do that work and the, and the people who are like, no, you know, we're barely clinging on to, to our way of life the way it is. Totally. Now there's more just like internal building. So like San Diego, city of San Diego is build, build, building this billions and billions of dollar pure water project that their ratepayers are going to have to pay for. So like, what's going to happen? Are they going to try to like shoulder this double cost of paying off the debt of the water authority and their pure water project? Like that's a whole separate discussion that we haven't seen the insides of yet. But you mentioned it because it's built into this discussion, right? Because the water authority depends on us as city of San Diego ratepayers to pay a lot of these debts off. But we're also saying like we don't want to get as much water from you as we have in the past. We're gonna take we're gonna take our own waste 
and recycle it and keep it here so that we we don't have to bring in as much water, which is going to hurt in some ways their bottom line as well. So they might have to raise rates even further. Right. It's going to be messy. I love your beat because it's like not only the water that comes in, but it's the water that, that comes out of <laughs> yeah, us. Yeah, that's what comes out. What, as what well. happens with that? <laughs> and there was some news as well about this part of the thing. So we manage a lot of the water that comes out of us well, but, <laughs> but a lot of it doesn't get dealt with well, especially south of the border where they don't have as uh, built up of in- infrastructure of treatment plants and of the the pipes and such to people's homes. The the sewage that comes across the border has used to be just a rainy day phenomenon because it would wash through the canyons, but now it happens in the summer. And there was a plea uh, you wrote about this week to the governor to get involved. And he, did he get involved? Kinda. Um, so everybody has been asking for a federal emergency declaration. And why that's important is because if President Biden uses his power to declare a federal emergency at the border. Uh, it like fast tracks a bunch of like you can cut through a bunch of red tape. You don't have to. I don't think you have to do like bidding processes. So basically just a way to just like infuse money to the border to fix this broken wastewater treatment plant that's sitting on the U.S. side right now that we that we reported about um, that needs a lot of care before we can even like spend more money to do more treatment of the sewage that keeps flowing over the border. Yeah. Well, we need the governor of California to also say, yes, we need an emergency declaration. You basically need to ask him first before we can go to Biden. And we found out yesterday that uh, Newsom decided he was not going to go that far. He stopped short of asking for an emergency and just basically said, could we please have some maybe some extra money like this year and maybe like next year? That would be nice. So he was he took the polite version. Yeah. Uh, I also don't know if he like do governors have a certain amount of emergencies that they can ask for from the, and does a <laughs> president out of emergencies kind of and like because he could he I think they declared one for the atmospheric rivers and the storms that we had and all the water there was a and whole bunch flooding. about COVID and co oh, sure like so what you know how much yeah political like you don't capital want a has governor he spent going crazy declaring everything an emergency yeah do you I don't know. well and there's also this interesting thing I've learned I'm not totally have my head totally wrapped around it but i guess at the federal level there's like this thing called there's an acute emergency and like a chronic or a pr- like acute problem and a chronic problem so like a flood is a acute problem that might require a federal emergency um but if it's like a chronic problem like oh man like your emergency you guys have been whining about this too long like it's a long term yeah. pro- emergency like it's no longer qualifies for now that people kind of. people were really mad at the governor, like in Imperial Beach, Mayor Paloma Aguirre. She said she had some words. Right? She had some words. Uh, I think Coast Keeper had some stronger words too. But like they, you know, he said, it was a very weak proposal from yeah. the governor for sure. So they they want to see this now emergency. Now what gets me is we've had at the city of San Diego an ongoing emergency declaration about the border crisis. I think every year or something they renew and just like it's just like a stamp like yeah we're still in an emergency yeah now they they've they've wanted more emergency declarations about this but it feels like it feels like we've we've had enough of those sort of things it's like is they need somebody to just literally do something about it and is is like i guess you know i'm the one that called for an emergency declaration about the homeless crisis and drive up emergency and urgent, you know, 
response to that. And so I can understand that instinct, but I, I, it, it does feel like emergency fatigue a little bit. Do they just want the, the symbol of that or what would it actually, you know, accomplish to, to see some things like that kick into motion? I think it doesn't really accomplish anything until it gets to the presidential level. Okay. Or perhaps even the state level, if the governor were to declare like a state emergency over the border, there'd be some kind of like kick into high gear, throw some more money at the problem. But instead, basically what they're saying is like, we have other like emergencies probably going on that this is, and the governor did call it an urgent problem, but not an emergency. Yeah. All right. We'll check everything out that McKenzie is doing on the water beat of the water that comes in and the water that, comes out. that goes out. You can check everything out, including her biweekly newsletter, The Environment Report at VOSD.org slash environment. That's VOSD.org slash environment. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Are you looking to engage with regional decision makers, business leaders, elected officials, and industry professionals committed to improving downtown San Diego? Join the Downtown San Diego Partnership. As a member, you'll receive access to exclusive resources, exposure to special programming, networking functions, and additional opportunities unmatched by any other local membership-based organization. Join the driving forces behind the future of downtown San Diego. For a 10% discount, become a member today. Well, we don't do election day anymore. I, I think we should stop referring to it as that. It is the last day to vote. Oh, it's yeah. Tuesday. Because everybody just Time's votes changed. on their own and sends it in. They can go in whenever they want. It's just the last day you can do it now and when we start to see the results, right? Since I've never voted, was election day like, did you ever go out and vote on oh, election day? Oh, it's special. Yeah, yeah, you get a sticker. What's the vibe? Like, <laughs> give, me, give me some color here. Oh, I used to go with my mom where we would like go in and she would take me in and show me how it worked. And let wow. me push the little, it used to be a thing where you'd push in uh -huh. and it would, it would make a, a hole in the, in the card uh, or at least where I was. I remember uh, my first presidential election, 1996. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah, that was interesting. It's weird here. I'm from the Midwest and I first Were time I voted. Were you alive in 96? I was a year old. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah, you can vote in like people's garages here in California. Yeah, that doesn't. Yeah. That's not a thing where I'm from. What's voting? Give me some color. What's like? Voting I went like and voted there? in some OB surfer guy's garage. Yeah, and I was like, "Is this secure? Like, is this secure? Is this <laughs> who am I giving <laughs> is this my real? vote to?" Yeah. What is it like in the Midwest? You go to like a public building or like a school or a library. Mm. Yeah, most of them are in <laughs> schools, but some are in churches, uh, little oh. real estate offices, or. Okay. But yeah, I'd say most are in schools. Probably if you did like a pie chart, that'd be interesting. Mm. 
but but yeah, here especially it was great because there was I think San Diego was unique because it was uh, we had election central where after all the polls closed, they they developed a tradition here where the uh, media would gather at one spot and get handed out results, right? right? Now, obviously, you can get results digitally, but that tradition of media gathering in one spot uh, ended up becoming a big part of Golden Hall, right next to City Hall. And so every election day was like a really fun, you know, you'd go down there, reporters would set up, all the TV stations would set up, radio stations, and it was it was it was an exciting thing because the winning politicians would come like parading in right. and and the losing ones would like not show up or would just you know cross their fingers. They'd get hotel rooms nearby and there'd be big parties all the time, tons of tons of drinking. It was not great that way, but um, there was just a it was like a really it was a day. Right. But then two things happened. COVID obviously couldn't do election center. In fact, that's the last big event I went to before. That was my before. first week at Voice. Yeah, that's right. The last big event I went to before COVID was the last election central that occurred. Wow. And then um, and then the other thing, this vote now, the vote by mail almost entirely means like it's just a last day to send things in. And I knew, I refused to vote by mail until then because I just, I really liked going that day. Um, but the last day to vote in the special election for the District 4 County Supervisor seat is Tuesday, Monica Montgomery Step is running, and Janessa Goldbeck is running, Amy Reichert's running, uh, and Paul McQuig. So we're all interested. There is tons of money flying uh, across uh, this entire election. So we've um, written about a little bit of it and and more, just uh, millions of dollars being spent uh, in opposition to candidates and for candidates. The police, um, the builders, the Building Industry Association, uh, and several several other more like centrist uh, interest groups are pushing hard for Janessa Goldbeck and in in uh, are also going hard against Monica Montgomery Step. They're both Democrats, but obviously represent different angles. On Monica Montgomery Step's side, there's a lot of labor and other organizations coming out not not just for her, but also trying to support Amy Riker. Right. Amy Reichert's the Republican. She herself has raised a lot of money and is sending out a lot of flyers. You've got one right there. Uh, and she, but they want her to get to the runoff in the belief that um, she'll be a lot easier for them to beat than Janessa Goldbeck and they have to spend less money. So it is pretty gnarly little battle. Um, and I heard some polling the other day that- uh, Yeah, uh, you want to make some predictions? Well, that didn't- uh, that Monica Montgomery Step and Amy Reichert have a slight lead um, in oh. to getting into the runoff, and Janessa Goldbeck's doing better, but still not quite there. Um, so we'll see if that changes. Now, in the past, I've seen Republicans kind of unite and like uh, they have this weird like kind of alliance with Labor. They would hit a centrist candidate like her, uh, and then the labor would hit her, and then the Republican would go at the labor candidate in the in the final election. I've seen that a couple times in San Diego politics, but this time it seems like the right of center forces are lining up mostly for Janessa Goldbeck. So I don't know. I don't know if there's a prediction going on, but um, there is a there is a lot of money going to this because people believe a lot is at stake. What race do you think would be more interesting? Monica versus Janessa or Monica versus Amy? Oh, Monica versus Janessa for sure. 
Like uh, the the Amy Reigert versus Monica Montgomery step would be probably spicy, but in the very sort of traditional right left thing, you, they would hit her as being a Trump supporting anti vax mm-hmm. thing, and it would be like it'd be pretty dark that way. And then they'd come back, and probably the police would still stick with the Republican. And they'd probably still hit her the same way that, that they've been hitting uh, Monica Montgomery Step in the primary. Um, but the Goldbeck versus Step final would be just brutal. I think they would they would have to they would unleash even even more uh, spending. There would be and they're all like pot committed. You you're familiar with that term? Like if you are playing poker and you start betting so much that you like feel pretty obligated to like keep going or else you're mm. you're gonna lose even more. It's just this like it's a logical fall- fallacy. You shouldn't ever feel like you're too far in to stop spending. But at some point they realize like the unions, for example, they'll realize like they've spent so much money attacking Janessa Goldback or trying to get her to lose that like they really don't want her to be their boss, right? <laughs> you know, and so it'll it makes get for awkward conversation. It sometimes gets a little awkward. Now, there's been plenty of politicians that have had that happen, including Monica Montgomery Step, who they they went after really hard, and she was able to, to get over that and build an alliance with them. Uh, same thing with Nathan Fletcher. So it's not impossible, but it certainly creates some like tension, and so they'd mm-hmm. like to see that avoided. But the but on the other side. Uh, the you know anti-union forces, the sort of builders and the um, and then the police and such, they would also see a lot at stake and would just really unleash too. And so I would imagine it would be an uncomfortable race for us to cover because just mentioning anything will will bring out a lot of uh, daggers. But um, but those are also the most interesting to see like what they think people care about in mm-hmm. because the other ones just fall into like you know MAGA versus. Right liberals you know just this thing we've seen now for for six seven years so the but uh but that other way would be like a really more like trying to get you into your head about like what you're really scared about with the county and stuff like that that would be interesting thanks for listening to the voice san diego podcast the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in san diego that did a special Happy hour edition this week. You should check it out. It was Nate John's great idea. We had Alon Stevens from The Trace and Greg Moran, formerly of the Union Tribune, in here. And we gave everyone, including me, the task of telling one story uh, about public affairs or about something going on. And it was really good. Um, And I really enjoyed it. And so it's in your feed. Check it out. Again, our happy hour special podcast. Uh, I really liked it. And it was a great idea by Nate John. We make all of this happen um, because of donors and subscribers. You can see the membership levels we have at vosd.org slash donate. Please choose the level that works for you if you value this content or stories like it. And you can subscribe to any of our newsletters at vosd.org slash newsletters. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice San Diego. Andrea Lopez Villafaña is Managing Editor. Mackenzie Elmer is our reporter who covers the water that comes in and the water that goes out. Nate John is our ideas man on things as cool as the special podcast this week and our producer. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.